Hi. Welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Arakli, tech editor at Forbes India. In these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. Our guest today uh, is Brendan Rogers. He's a founding partner at 2AM VC. It's a venture capital firm in the US which focuses on investing in Gen Z entrepreneurs in India. 2AM VC has already made several investments in, in the Indian startups uh, uh, in various uh, sectors, including fintech and healthcare. Uh, previously, Brendan himself has been an entrepreneur. He uh, co-founded the Wag Labs, uh, an on-demand uh, dog walking and other pet services startup, which attracted investors, including SoftBank Group. He also helped found the Game Changer Labs, a social discovery service, which grew to more than 50 million users in over 10 countries, and it was acquired by IAC in uh, 2014. Brendan, fantastic to have you with us uh, today. Uh, uh, good morning, I guess, to you, and uh, thank you for making time for this, and welcome. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a, a quite the morning, to say the least. I'm, I'm in Florida right now, so uh, it's very hot still, and uh, my dog was itching to get outside early in the morning, so uh, very excited to be here, so thank you so much for having me. So just a, a quick sort of question to get us started off, I mean... When did you move to Florida? And a lot of folks now think about Florida as the next startup hub in the U.S. So what are you seeing on the ground over there? So I'm actually in, uh, I'm not in Miami. I'm in a smaller town uh, south of Tampa called Sarasota. But uh, I'm definitely seeing, and I do spend time in Miami, I have seen a huge influx of founders moving to the Florida just because of tax reasons and just better quality of life and it's actually cheaper to live here than uh you know silicon valley or la or new york um so i think it's growing i think the one thing it lacks is just talent i think there's um just a lot less number of engineers and technical folks that um are in florida so when you do start a business and you do scale i think it's uh will be challenging to scale on the engineering front um, but other than that, um, there's more capital that's coming here. There's a lot of people in the Bay area, like I said, founders that are moving here and stuff like that. So it's definitely growing. Um, I'm not sure if it's a fad or not. I was actually talking to my partner Herschel yesterday about this. Um, we'll see, but, uh, in terms of quality of life, it's great. Uh, you know, not that much noise and traffic compared to the other cities. So, uh, we'll see how it pans out. Okay. Excellent. So let's, let's talk about, uh, 2 a.m. We see, uh, uh, you've already invested in several startups in India, uh, but for people who may not be familiar with uh, 2MVC yet and your work, uh, maybe you could start by giving us a brief history of the path that uh, brought you to uh, your, your VC avatar, and we'll go from there. Yes, sure. So uh, my venture capital fund's called 2MVC. Uh, we're a Gen Z-centric uh, India-only fund. So my partner, Herschel Mehta, and I, we have a vehicle where he where we invest in Gen Z founders and Gen Z business models. Um, you know, typically at the pre-seed and seed stage level, 
And, you know, my journey to start to MBC was a lot of it was, um, my initial trip to India and I'm sure we'll get into that, but just from a high level of going from entrepreneur to investor, you know, I really loved, uh, working with founders in like the, the pre-seed seed stage, uh, levels. And I think that, um, the only way to do that and with multiple founders is to be an investor. Um, so I, uh, took the plunge and, you know, when I went to India for the first time, really kind of enlightened me to, uh, start this fund and whatnot. So, you know, one thing that I, I love to do is, is to really work with founders, whether if it's from zero to one or raising the first round of financing or just getting a MVP out there and getting traction. Um, and there's no better way to do that than, uh, having a, a micro fund, uh, specifically in India. And, uh, tell us also a bit about uh, how you and uh, Herschel teamed up. Yeah. So my, uh, my partner is, uh, named, uh, Herschel Mehta. He's, uh, born and raised in LA. Um, you know, after cool, sort of through my journey through WAG, um, towards the end of, of my time at WAG, I decided to really start networking and, um, just really wanted to build my personal brand. So, uh, built a presence on, on LinkedIn and just really networked with a lot of really like-minded individuals in uh, Los Angeles. And that's where I met Herschel and, uh, you know, Herschel's background as a successful investor in the U S and in India was very attractive and just really, um, you know, what he was telling me about the value that he provides founders, like from day one, he just doesn't, you know, wire money and that that's it. And I was really attracted to that. Um, and, uh, he was telling me about his cousin, Sanjay Mehta, um, uh, which runs and uh, has founded 100x.bc, the pre-seed accelerator. And um, Sanjay's background as a successful angel and entrepreneur uh, was just really drawn into the success that the, that his family has had in India. Um, and it's funny because um, the 100x demo day in 2019 was the first one. And Herschel, um, he sent me an email and, you know, apparently he sent this email to like 20 people saying, Hey, we'd love to you to come to the demo day. And I remember it was really early, uh, right before I was going to work out in LA and I read the email and something inside of me was like, you got to get on an airplane. You got to go to India. And, you know, I'm from a very small, uh, town in Rhode Island. And I was always intrigued by, um, India, just like, you know, economies that were growing and just innovation that is completely scaling at a rapid pace. So I got on the plane and that's when, when I, when I landed in Mumbai, my whole life changed. And I drew one of my bucket lists, uh, places to go and just see is India. Um, you know, it was something that I've always had, uh, on my wish list, if you will. And, uh, you know, that was when Herschel and I's relationship really started to, uh, to flourish was on that trip in Mumbai. And, you know, that's when I really a light bulb really went off my head where I was like, there is such amazing, passionate founders in India solving massive pain points for people. And I need to be a part of this in any capacity. Um, and you know, with Herschel and his family's background and how, um, you know, they have a lot of boots on the ground and stuff like that. Uh, it has made this journey and experience just so much easier and a lot less friction, uh, less than, you know, uh, just random people trying to invest in India. So that's kind of like the origins and, um, you know, it's been a great partnership and, um, you know, I could not ask for a better partner. 
Hmm. What are some of the uh, sectors that you have already invested in, and uh, which sectors are you looking at in India, which look promising to you? Yeah, so um, definitely fintech. I think just fintech. Uh, you know, whether if it's neo banks or even with like just crypto in general. Um, I think that the adoption of UPI and how uh, credit card penetration is growing within the country. I think fintech is, is here to stay. Um, and I think it's growing uh, in all sectors uh, with Gen Z, et cetera. So very bullish on on fintech. Um, another area that I'm very excited about is uh, obviously education tech. Um, that's been obviously ripping through the country for the last you know X amount of years. Uh, we're seeing a, a, an amazing amount of founders and new founders, repeat founders, starting businesses in the education space. And I think that just the adoption rate of, um, of, of users on these education platforms is, is growing dramatically. So, and you have the, you know, the, the powerhouses like Baiju and stuff like that, where they're just growing very, very fast. Um, so obviously bullish on ed tech. Um, I don't, I think that there's a, it's somewhat saturated with the amount of deals I see in ed tech, but I feel like, you know, really uh, kind of shifting through, um, you know, a lot of the, the bucket of founders and stuff. I think there's some good opportunity, uh, in that sector. And then lastly, um, there's like high level industries. I would probably say wellness as well, too. I think that with COVID and just the lack of, um, just being able to like go outside and like, just, I think wellness is top of mind for a lot of people. So um, I think COVID has really accelerated that space specifically. So excited about uh, wellness as well. And I think that kind of, you know, our fund, we look at all industries. I think that we're not subject to only few, um, you know, we're uh, just really want to back great founders. You know, I have, you know, I talked to founder, I talked to a founder yesterday that's building in a space that is, um, you know, in the uh, biomedical space. My background, I have no business investing in a biomedical company by any means, but I see the, I see the vision, uh, the founder is absolutely amazing. So we'll definitely look at all different industries and, and talk to as many founders as, as humanly possible. So those are like some of the top three. And then probably the, the fourth one would probably be marketplaces as well too. Um, just the, the whole, um, the growing market of just, you know, we have companies like Misho and, uh, even like just like consumer facing businesses, uh, last mile delivery, uh, obviously the likes of Swiggy and stuff like that. So looking at all these types of businesses. Um, so yeah. Hey, uh, tell us about, uh, some of the, uh, most important differences or just the big differences that jump out at you when you look at the Indian startup scene and what it's like in the U S and Silicon Valley specifically. Yeah, I think that in. In India, there is, the founders are so passionate and they have so much determination and they're willing to build and scale or at least try to scale with not that much capital. Whereas I think that in Silicon Valley, the mindset is like, let's come up with an idea and then go to investors and see if we can get money. And I think that, that rarely works unless you have like a really, unless you're a serial entrepreneur or you have really, really good backgrounds, either working as like an early employee at a really successful business, et cetera. I see in India founders like getting traction, building, launching, working super, super hard, uh, and then going out to raise capital. 
So those are like some of like the, the immediate things that jump out to me. I also think that just the technical talent in India is so much stronger than in the US. And I know that's a very blunt statement, but I just think that the amount of engineers that I see in India and how like technically smart they are, um, it's absolutely amazing. And I think that number is growing. Um, even like blockchain engineers, Herschel and I were talking about this the other day that we think that there's going to be a huge, huge influx of, uh, more blockchain engineers in India in the years to come just because of the adoption rates of new crypto projects and, and stuff like that. And just the, you know, adoption rate of, of new wallets opening and stuff. Um, but from a high level, just, I think just passion and grit, uh, where I've seen founders scale businesses with almost zero funding and be able to attract a team and, um, that's, you know, passionate about what they're, uh, what they're doing. And I think that's very hard to do. And I just think in Silicon Valley, there's sort of that mantra of like, let's just, you know, think of an idea, create a pitch deck and just go ask for money without actually creating any sort of value first. Hmm. What about on the, uh, venture investing side of things? I mean, before 2AM VC is when, uh, you've, uh, you know, had a fair amount of experience as an angel investor in the U.S. Uh, tell us a bit about that and uh, how is, uh, you know, angel investing in the U.S. different from what you've seen so far in the in, in India? Yeah, I think that just what I've seen in India so far is a lot of the investing, like when the rounds are put together, especially if the company's in, in Indian registered business, um, the rounds just go so slow because of compliance. Uh, and that's okay. It's just that, uh, a lot of these founders need the capital to be able to, you know, either like operate higher or just move fast. And I think that with the, it's, it's just, it's slow with some of these rounds. And, um, I think that really hurts the founder. Whereas in Silicon Valley, you know, if you're angel investing and you're, uh, you know, if they're raising capital, say on like a safe note, you know, you can essentially commit and wire in the same day. And I think that just the pace of funding, I think just the, um, the quickness of how fast these rounds can actually get completed from a compliance standpoint. I think that that's the, that's the, the sheer difference. Um, in terms of, uh, the actual, uh, angel ecosystem in the U S and in India, I think that now you're getting more liquidity in India because of these companies are going public or they're allowing, you know, uh, early employees to, to sell shares and stuff. So they're just more inherently look like more liquidity in the market. So these early employees or even founders want to, you know, invest, uh, back into the startup ecosystem. So we're seeing a lot of, uh, just early employees with great backgrounds or even founders, uh, continuously invest and write checks at a, at a more of a rapid pace. And, uh, I think that's great. I think that a lot of these, especially these Gen Z founders, they, they're building businesses, you know, in the e-commerce space or FinTech space and having some of these angels that have started businesses in those specific spaces or been early employees in, in those types of companies can provide a ton of value from day one. And I think that's super healthy for the ecosystem. Um, and then in like, you know, on the Silicon Valley side, or at least in the U S side, I think like COVID has really kind of shifted be, by not being in Silicon Valley. I think that like when I first started my first tech company, like I booked a one-way ticket to essentially San Francisco and never looked back. Because I, because that was where everything was happening. That's where Facebook was. That's where Google is. That's where all the money is. That's where all the talent is. However, I think like COVID has really, you know, made that so people don't have to go to the Bay Area to be successful in tech. And I think that that's kind of shifted 
the uh, the angel landscape where now um, you're seeing kind of angels spread everywhere throughout the U.S. and you're seeing founders in other areas and stuff like that. And um, it's more of like a diverse ecosystem and stuff. So I would say those are probably like the the differences. Yeah, I, I do want to ask you about your own entrepreneurial experiences and definitely a few questions about WAG. But since you mentioned your first tech uh, company, tell us a bit about that. What was that about and how was that experience? Yeah, I mean, the, the that company was uh, basically my first at bat. Uh, you know, it was, at, it was, it was called, so the company was called Game Changer Labs, but the actual business, um, we've, you know, my co-founders and I had a couple of different businesses under that umbrella. And, uh, this was like the rise, uh, like 2011 to 2013, when we saw social really take off and how businesses really wanted to have like a mobile footprint. And what was interesting was that Facebook launched their API or open API, I think like 2009 or 2010. So you had these like massive games and just like meeting new people apps on top of Facebook because it was just a good just distribution channel. Uh, so my co-founders and I, you know, we thought that, you know, what, what industries need to be disruptive. Uh, and, you know, we saw Airbnb do like, you know, the, the hospitality industry, Uber with the transportation industry, but there was nothing for dating. So we decided to uh, launch like a dating app that essentially sat on top of the Facebook uh, or was connected to Facebook's open API. And um, it was almost like a meeting new social dating, meeting new people site um, sitting on top of Facebook. And that was a lot of, uh, you know, we scaled very, very quickly, just like I said, being on, on top of Facebook and, um, you know, the business, you know, raised some capital from some great investors. But ultimately, um, you know, we were, we were relying on, on Facebook essentially, and they can change your algorithms and basically, you know, shut you off at any time, essentially. So that business, um, you know, we, it was eventually, you know, uh, the assets were eventually acquired and, uh, it was, it was a lot of learnings. Um, it actually was a great learning experience on, on how to hire, uh, how to raise like, you know, capital early on and, um, just really learn how to like scale the business and stuff. I think that, um, that business really led to, to something greater and which was WAG. Um, but we were correct with the dating space. Um, that's when Tinder came out in 2013 in the U S I believe. Um, and I remember being on the West coast and somebody was talking about Tinder and then I went home to see my family and somebody else was talking about Tinder on the East coast. And that's when kind of the, the buzz came around Tinder and, uh, you know, just with their mobile first functionality, they just took off like a rocket ship. So I think we were, we were correct from an industry perspective. We just didn't have the right, we just didn't execute right. And we didn't really create the right product, but, uh, it really led to, to wag and, you know, really took all those learnings. And that's what I tell a lot of the founders that we invest in, uh, or even founders that I just mentor and stuff. It's like that. Like I, my goal is to not invest in just this one company of yours. Like my goal is to invest in like the founders one through sixth company. You know what I mean? Like I'm investing in the team and I'm investing in the founders. So, you know, this may not be the idea. This may be an idea that you, you pivot or you think you have a lot of learnings with and you do something else, something bigger and greater, but really investing in the, in the people. Um, but that business really led to the founding of WAG and, you know, happy to get into that and, and and to hear more about Wang and whatnot. But, um, you know, after the, the, uh, acquisition of the assets of the, or dating company, 
you know, I moved, my co-founders and I moved to LA just because, you know, Palo Alto is, uh, whoever has ever been to Palo Alto, Palo Alto is, uh, shuts down pretty early and, uh, not much going on. It's very peaceful. It's very beautiful, but I was in my young twenties and I was like, you know, I need to be in an area where it's got a lot more action. Um, so moved to LA and, you know, really saw the huge rise of like the gig economy where you saw businesses like Uber and Instacart and Lyft like really scale fast. And, you know, this was a, an industry where like, if, if you built in this industry, you know, it, there was such like a hot, there was like a, such like a, like a demand for like gig economy businesses. And, and there was the people that were on Uber and Lyft were consistently, you know, adopting to these new type of services stuff, just because they understood the functionality and whatnot. So my co-founders and I thought that the pet space would be a great place to essentially, um, to launch our next business in because of just the, the sheer amount of, um, of money that people spend on their pets, like LTV for pets is extremely high, but more so the business in the U S was really never disrupted. Um, it was mainly the, the pet industry in the U S is basically owned by like brick and mortar companies. There wasn't anyone really executing from a service perspective. And with this whole rise of gig of the gig economy, we thought, why not build in the pet space and build a gig economy around pets? Um, and it was interesting because the house that I was living in was right next to a dog walking trail or not dog walk trail, hiking trail in LA called Runyon Canyon, which is a very well-known place where people go hike. And, um, just saw everybody with dogs, everybody in the world had dogs, there's dog walkers. It was, it was like, nobody got married. It was just having a pet was like your spouse essentially. And what was interesting is that in LA, it gets really hot and there's a lot of traffic and people are inside, dogs are inside all day. Um, so if you want to go from one side of LA to the other side of the L LA and like at five o'clock in the afternoon, it's going to take you, you know, an hour or two. And, um, you know, with these dogs inside, you know, they, the, the people were, were essentially having local dog walkers come into their house and, and let their dogs out and stuff like that. And then also in LA, we realized that there was a ton of people that, you know, are essentially doing like their side hustles. They're trying to be famous. They're trying to be models. They're like, there's, that's why people go to LA if you're not in like the tech world is to try to make it in your craft. So everybody in LA has like a side job and why not connect just people that love pets? Cause everybody loves pets and connect them to pet parents and uh, give this, them this frictionless experience where they can um, track their dog on their walk when they're at work and they can see the dog went to the, go to the, you know, when they went to the bathroom and all of the financial transactions done through the app, it's just this very frictionless experience. You don't even have to worry about it. You just like, you know, your walker, you press a button and you have full transparency on, on how that walk is going. And what was interesting is that on the supply side, getting the walkers was very, very easy compared to companies like Uber and Lyft, where they had huge acquisition costs. So people were dying to become wag walkers. Um, so that was a huge kind of hurdle that we've overcome because we knew that like historically in these kind of companies, uh, acquisition cost of the, of the supply can be very, very expensive. So, um, we launched the product in LA, uh, and started just hustling every person that had a pet we went up to hey would you use the service well you know free walks everything like just get on the platform let us know your experience etc 
Um, and eventually it started growing from like a, a word of mouth uh, perspective. And one thing that we did that I think really changed the whole, the whole pet industry was we essentially launched something called the WAG lockbox, which is a, essentially like a, a real estate lockbox where you'd like, or house lockbox where you put on the doorknob and then in the lockbox, you pull like keys and stuff. We thought that if we could get inside the pet parents home and provide an amazing experience and get inside the pet parents heart, when they're home or not, then we can scale it to other, um, uh, sectors, whether if it's like sitting and boarding, you know, daycare, et cetera. So we had all of these people allow us into their homes and they trusted us because everything with pets is all about trust. And uh, we had all of these, these pet parents allow us into their houses and stuff. And I think that really changed the whole dynamic on the, of the business and just gave so much more validation to how powerful this platform is in this community. So, um, yeah, so launched the product and very, very like non-scalable things at first. And I think that, um, with the amount of amazing employees and walkers and just the whole community really helped lifted the business in the early days and really get it to at least zero to one very quickly. Mm. Um, so throughout your entire uh, entrepreneurial experience, uh, Game Changer Labs, as well as uh, building WAG, uh, uh, and I know that it's still used today uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, what are some of the biggest takeaways for you, uh, you know, that other aspiring entrepreneurs can learn from? I think, um, so with WAG, I think that the, a lot of the experiences, at least that, that I learned personally, and then also from a team perspective is that the product you launch may not be the product that actually is going to be like the winner, meaning like there's going to be a lot of iterations and a lot of just pivots. And it's going to take a while to get product market fit It just embrace that process. I think that a lot of founders think that when they launch, it's just going to go to like a million users overnight. And yes, it does happen, but it's very rare. So it's mainly, you know, getting feedback, talking to your users and consistently iterating and, and just listening. And I think that, um, in the, it would game changer labs with the, with our dating site, I think that it was, we ignored that. And I think that with WAG, we took our learnings from Game Changer Labs and really with WAG, listen to our, our users and listen to what our walker said. And like, you know, how does this, how, what is your experience like from being a walker here? What is your experience as a pet parent? Like, do you trust us? This is a trustworthy product. So, uh, I would say listening. Um, also, I would say that when founders um, start businesses, I think that there's some founders that and I talked about earlier where they think that like, if you are an entrepreneur, you're going to be able to raise money and you're going to get traction. It's like this whole Korean road and stuff, you know, WAG was it's as big as WAG is today and the amount of money we raised to get to that point was like every single person had to put their blood, sweat and tears into that business. And I think founders, um, they need to, when they look at hiring, they need to find people that just are good engineers or just good product managers, but actually people that really believe in the business and that are mission driven. And that's very hard to do. It's going to take a while, but you really have to kind of go through a lot of interviews to find those people. Um, and I think that in the early days, you know, we, we hired really well. I think that, you know, we, we hired really, really passionate people that helped, um, scale the business from zero to one. So really 
just like have like a pulse on hiring and, and really try to find people that like essentially would work for free because they are so passionate about the mission that this business is on. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of learnings. It's crazy. It's like when you start these businesses, it's like you're on the, you strap yourself into a roller coaster. Imagine going on a roller coaster blindfolded and you just don't know where it's going to turn or the ups and downs. And it's just like, you're on this ride and you're with people that are on the ride with you that are like, you're all in the same boat. And you know, that is, it's a magical experience. So there's a lot of different like learnings along the way. And I think that, I think learnings evolve over time and they morph into other things, you know, like from, from founder to VC, the amount of learnings that I've learned the last year is astronomical. Um, but it's an amazing experience. And I, I encourage like, if you, you know, people that want to start businesses, um, to do it, especially like if you have something in your gut, that's telling you like, oh, I would love to do this even on the side whatever it is, like you have to do it. Um, like there's no questions asked, but, um, yeah, those were some of the learnings. I mean, there's like a lot of just, just many different micro learnings that I learned personally that I can share in more detail, but from just like from a high level, um, like just to reiterate, like just really listen to your customers, listen to your users, be a sponge. Um, don't just think that like, just because I want it this way, this is the way it's going to work. Like you have to interact with their users and just be ready to iterate and, and A-B test. And, and, you know, the product you start may not be the product you really end up with. Hmm. What uh, propelled you to uh, turn to venture capital and, uh, uh, having become a VC investor, did you find that, uh, or do you find that uh, having been an entrepreneur uh, makes you a better VC as well? Yeah, um, 100%. Uh, I think that the best VCs in the world are ones that have gone through the trenches. Um, I think that it's, especially at pre-seed and seed, I think it's hard for, if you have never been through the trenches, it's really hard to connect with founders at that level because at that stage, it's like, it's a lot of just, it, there's not that much data. You're just really like kind of figuring out like zero to one and that's it. You know, I, like I said earlier, WAG got to a point where it got really big and it didn't feel like it really a startup anymore. And I really missed that. And I love, you know, meeting founders that are like, hey, we're, we're two or three people in a room or in a dorm room and we're building this. What are your thoughts? Like, can you help us with this? And I, I missed that. So that's when, and I talked about it a little bit earlier, but really, really like missing that, that piece. And there's no better way to kind of like meet with many founders and, and be with founders, uh, you know, all day than starting a, a seed fund. Um, I think that, you know, obviously at the later, the, la the larger funds and stuff like that, like, yes, you don't think you need to be a, a founder as much. Um, but I definitely think for, for pre-seed seat, you, you must be, a, you must be a founder. It's the, the only way in my eyes, um, that's a very blunt comment, but, um, I just think that there's from a two-sided, uh, perspective is like, you're going to give so much value to the founder because you've done it before. Um, and the founder is going to need that. And then also like from a VC perspective, it's like founders want my fund into the, uh, into their deal, into their round because of the experience we have and the, uh, ex also the experience that in our networks that we can kind of unlock for these founders. So, uh, I definitely think that by being a, a founder it definitely helps, uh, you know, with getting in, with getting in round, just providing like just pure value to founders. He, uh, we spoke, uh, last week briefly for my tech briefing podcast and we also talked about doing this conversation and 
I think you mentioned uh, one of the things that you wanted to advise uh, entrepreneurs is in addition to, I think one was that they should visit India. And, and did you say the other one was that you should work in a restaurant? And, and, and did you work in one? And what was that about? Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, like when I went to India, my, in, India is one of the most magical places on planet Earth um, because this, the, the people, the culture, and just the, the, it's electric. There's so much energy, you know, there's places in the U S where like, you feel like there's no energy. You're like, what's going on here? People are like walking around like zombies. But I think that in India, you learn so much about yourself and you learn so much about other people. Um, and I made that comment because I think that like you're, there's so many different things going on. And I think that, uh, I think people need to experience that because I think it, in, it unlocks other things in your life. Um, and I also made a comment of, uh, working at a restaurant because that is, looks like a really hard job and you're multitasking and you're doing a bunch of different things. Uh, uh, so I think that, uh, is definitely something that most people should do. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, just kind of going back to your question about like why I became a VC and why do I want to invest in founders and stuff is like, or at least emerging markets and, and emerging founders is, is really because like, you know, I, when I grew up, I like played sports my whole life. I played sports in college, um, at a very high level and, you know, sports is you're all on a team, you're all in the same boat, you practice, you work hard, and then you go to the game and you hopefully win and you're, you know, you're going to lose uh, sometimes. And like with startups, it's the same exact thing. You're on this, you're, you're on this team, you're all, you're together. You like, you practice and you launch and you hopefully get traction and whatnot. And, um, when I, you know, became a, a VC, I felt like I was back on a team again. I felt like I was on multiple teams. Like I wake up and I have like 50 WhatsApp messages from different founders asking me different questions. And I feel like this energy inside of me and I feel like I'm on this team with everybody and I trying to provide as much value as possible. And, you know, with India, I just felt like there was so much opportunity with India and how there needs to be more people that are founder led, or at least have like, you know, experience in other areas of the world, um, kind of give their experience to Indian founders and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So tell us about the, the growing up part. You said you came from a small town in Rhode Island. And, uh, what are some of the biggest influences, uh, of your childhood that you remember that you feel, uh, you know, influenced, uh, your career choices and so on. When I grew up, I, um, I was always, so I, I love sports. That was like, I, you know, I come from an athletic family. Like I just love just being active. I was a very active person. And, uh, I don't know exactly what made me want to get into entrepreneurship or what specific instance was like, oh, you have to create your own destiny and be your own CEO. However, I was very attracted to like when I, when I was in my teenage years or maybe when I was like 12 or 13, this is when like, you know, the Pentium 4 processor came out and this is when like Napster and LimeWire and Kazaa and these like different platforms, you could stream illegal music. Um, you can burn CDs, Craigslist came out, eBay came out, people were, you know, selling stuff. And I just, I just liked the concept of making money to be completely transparent. Like I would go downstairs in, in my basement and say, what can I put on Craigslist? And like, I would put stuff on Craigslist and be like, Hey dad, I'm selling this. Can you, 
and you come to the parking lot with me to go tra- do a transaction. And I just like the concept of just like, like making money and also saw like this, uh, I just was attracted to technology. I don't know why. I really don't know why. Maybe in a past life, I really liked technology or I was a, a something. I don't know. But um, uh, I'm just really drawn to it. And when I was, uh, I think some of the influences were my father was uh, in sales or he's still in sales and he was in technology sales. And I just saw, you know, how he did so well in his career. And I thought that like, you know, that like Sean Parker with Napster, I thought that was like so cool. Like how you can, you know, get music and burn them on CDs and just that whole process. And then kind of like, lastly, this may kind of be like, this may come off the wrong way, but, um, there's a, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie wall street with Gordon Gekko with Michael, with Michael Douglas, like the first one where he had like the gel back hair. Uh, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, this, like how there's like power and just like business and just like how like you make money. I just was like attracted to that. Almost like a, uh, I wouldn't say like mafioso type thing, but just like that, just like the, that type of like, uh, business attitude and whatnot. It, um, like even like when I was in high school, I was on like the, I was in like the finance and technology club. We used to go to wall street, just on like field trips. And just, I thought that was just so cool. So yeah, those were some of like the influences. I, I think that like with the whole internet in the nineties and early two thousands, I think that just was, it was just like, it was so transformative. Like people are now online, AOL instant messenger. Like, you know, I remember my, you know, my, my screen name, like I used to communicate with people like in my town on instant messenger. And it was like a precursor to text messaging. It was just, it was just very fascinating. Um, very attracted to it. Okay. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, a few uh, quick rapid fire questions. Uh, I call them rapid fire, but basically just answer them quickly. Don't think too much about them. Uh, tell us about one thing, uh, that is one thing in your career that is not there on your official, official resume. When I moved to Palo Alto, uh, I had, my grandmother gave me a, uh, a, her, a little bit of money from her tax return. It made me like be able to get a little bit of food. Uh, and that was it. Um, I got a job, uh, in Palo Alto working, uh, at a liquor store sampling, uh, ginger, like non-alcoholic ginger beer to customers. And I did that in Palo Alto, like just to get money. And I, I don't think that's on my, re- I don't put that on my resume. And what's funny is that that company now is like a massive ginger beer company and they like really took off. Uh, so, uh, that is not on my resume, but I definitely hustled, uh, to do that. Work. Uh, professionally, uh, name one person, uh, who has left a deep impression on you. So I don't know if you'd call this professionally or not, but I, re- and you may know, I'm sure you know who this is, and I'd like to meet him one day. Um, I really like Saad Guru. Do you know who that is? I know who's hungry. Yeah. I've also not met him, but yes, of course I know by his reputation. Yeah. So he's obviously a big influencer now and stuff like that, but I've always listened to Saad Guru, uh, and it's almost like, I, I, I don't know if it's like super professionally, but he's always made like kind of like a imprint on like his wisdom and teachings and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It just makes me like ready for the day or if I like need a, before I'm going into a meeting or something like that, it's just always made a positive impact for me, uh, in a, in a personal perspective, in a professional setting of my life. So, uh, would love to meet him by the way. So if anybody knows who that is, please, I would love to just, you know, talk to him for five minutes. Cool. Um, uh, is there a book that you uh, keep going back to? 
Yeah. So my grandfather actually gave me this book, which I think is great. I actually have it right next to me. It's called The uh, Art of Happiness. So it's the Dalai Lama. Um, I'm a big fan of the Dalai Lama. What's really interesting is like, um, and we haven't touched on this. I know we have limited time, but in my entrepreneurial journey, um, I feel like the more positive energy you have and the more help you give and just like just trying to help other founders or trying to hire people that give them an opportunity. I feel like by giving all that energy out, you receive so much coming in. And I truly believe that. Um, and I think that is because I'm not an engineer. I never went to you know Stanford, like n n none of that by any means. Um, but I just always had like this positive mindset. I always knew it would work out. And if I help others and provide value, it will come back to me. Um, so the, the book of Art of Happiness, this is definitely just good reminders and stuff like that. So, so yeah. Uh, what does uh, money mean to you uh, in one sentence? Uh, freedom. But what's interesting is that money is just, money's water, right? It's liquidity. It's just, it flows just like water. I think people get hung up about money um, and it's just, it's just like water. It's just current, it just flows. So, uh, it'll come and go and that's just, just like water. So, uh, definitely gives you freedom, but by any means, not, not top of my list. Hmm. Uh, one important thing that you never start your day without, uh, it could be an activity or a habit, even a beverage. Uh, coffee. Sure. Any, all day, every day. Which was interesting because when I went to India, it seems like there's more tea drinkers than coffee drinkers in India. Is that true? Uh, I think in general, uh, very roughly, generally, uh, there are more coffee drinkers in South India. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, many of us drink both coffee and tea, but in general, more, more coffee drinkers in South India. What? Yes. So definitely coffee. And then also, uh, another thing I do is like, I try not to look at my cell phone, uh, right when I wake up, uh, I kind of just want to get up naturally, uh, and then look at the cell phone. So, uh, definitely coffee though. Coffee is, you know, I can't go anywhere without coffee. Okay. Uh, again, briefly, uh, what's your favorite hack to get yourself out of a funk? Running. Yeah. I think, uh, running is, uh, I used to, while I was building WAG, I, uh, used to live near the hiking trails. So I used to run on the hiking trails, uh, just to clear my mind. And just, you know, if I was, you know, anxious or whatever, just like running clears the mind. It's very meditative for me. It puts me in a position where like, nobody can contact me. I'm in my own head. I don't really think about anything. And it, it kind of, it's like a recharge. Okay. Last question. Uh, one city that you would love to live in? Tokyo and, uh, Bangalore. Okay. Excellent. Uh, we've completely exhausted our time for this uh, session. Brendan, thank you so much for making time for this. It was fantastic, fantastic talking to you. I certainly hope to keep the conversation going. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, and I really appreciate this opportunity and, and very grateful. So thank you so much for including me. So that was Brendan Rogers, uh, partner at uh, 2AMVC. That's it for this week's uh, Startup Fridays. Uh, wherever you joined us from, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Next week, we'll be taking a break for the uh, Festival of Desera. I'm back with another episode of Startup Fridays on October 22nd. Until then, I hope you have a great Friday uh, and a wonderful weekend ahead. <laughs>